This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. A little bit later in the week than normal for the podcast. Some scheduling issues uh, forced us here, Jesse, but that's okay. We did have a show last night at Monks in Sun Prairie. Talked about a lot of stuff, both basketball and football, so check that out wherever you get your podcasts. We also, so if you did listen, the reason I mentioned that is if you did listen to that, we're going to be also talking about some of that stuff here today. And and obviously the the news aspect since we had last did a show, Jesse, was the news that, that Greg Scruggs is moving on. He's going to Michigan. It's the third assistant to leave, obviously joining Mike Brown going to Notre Dame and Colin Hitcher going to Alabama. They also made the decision to move on from Jack Picknell too. So four changes overall. Do we put up uh, like a an eye raise to like the eye raise emoji with some of the stuff that's happened or is it just college football? <laughs> um, unfortunately, I think this is just college football. I shouldn't say unfortunate for the coaches. It's a great opportunity for them, but from the fan perspective, you'd like some continuity and, I think the players and the recruits probably would too. Look, it's hard to fault any of the people who have left for other jobs. Those jobs in their mind were better jobs or better opportunities or with people they had great relationships with, not to say they didn't with Luke, but it's unfortunate that it's just three of them in this, in a what two month stretch. And this one with Greg Scruggs leaving, at least there's time before spring practice, but I feel like we're just kind of getting one a week leading up to spring practice. So we'll just have something to we'll just have new stories and new conversations to have each week. Much appreciated, right? <laughs> I mean, it is a little slower time for the football program, but, um, you know, Greg Scrux is going back to Louisville where he play, or excuse me, going back to going to Michigan, but he's playing for Sharon Moore. Moore was a, a coach at Louisville. Scruggs played at Louisville. I don't know what the money's going to look like, but I'm sure he's going to get a a nice raise. And I mean, Michigan's been to the college football playoff three straight years as a defending national champion. Pretty darn good job. Not to say that Wisconsin isn't, but I mean, it's just uh, it's the nature of the business, man. That's how many years have we been covering these programs, and how many assistant coaches have we been through? And assistant coaches never stay assistant coaches uh, in that particular role forever, unless you're. Uh, you know, at Northwestern, it felt like when Pat Fitzgerald was there. <laughs> the thing about the the assistant coaches going all the way back to Brett Bielema and the whole story that came off of it, uh, where it was, uh, yeah, I didn't get enough money for my assistant coaches was one of the reasons why he left, which is always uh, in my mind and based up on some of the things I looked up, a BS reason, because the assistants that left either got um, – None of them were like going somewhere else for money. They got promotions. Almost all of them got promotions. It wasn't until Dave Aranda at LSU, which is obviously way past Brett Bielema, that a guy truly, truly left because of money. And he was Dave Aranda in 2015 or after the 2015 season was one of the first coordinators to make over a million dollars at LSU. And that was obviously not the type of money. I think Wisconsin was playing, paying about half of that at that point. But these are situations where these are like Wisconsin is what it is. Wisconsin is a very good program. It's it's in the one of the two conferences that matter in college football. It is certainly not at the bottom with Northwestern or Minnesota or some of these other schools, but it's also not Michigan and it's not Alabama and it's not Notre Dame. And so if these opportunities present themselves, 
guys are probably going to take those jumps. And as we talked about last night, they have no, and again, whether you agree with this or not, in terms of hiring guys from Wisconsin being important or whether it's not important, they are not tied to Wisconsin whatsoever. They have no ties to Wisconsin whatsoever other than Luke Fickle. And so when other things pop up, there's opportunities and we see what they, and we see them take them. I, I don't think that's going to change. And that's my perspective on it too, Zach, in terms of guys coming here with no ties to Wisconsin. That's okay. Whatever it takes to win football games and move the program forward. You can, you know, you can be upset and understandably so with how things ended under the last regime, especially the last three years or so. They were not playing at a high enough level. Now they were close in 2021, couldn't beat Minnesota in the regular season finale to get to a Big Ten championship game. But you could say that those guys had such a passion for this program that, you know, they might be willing to stay longer. Um, and one system is not better than another, but I think it does show when you get coaches who come here that that don't have ties here, it's much easier to leave after a year. On the other hand, like we said, and I think I mentioned this on Temple and Heilprin, if there's if they start leaving for Georgia State or Middle Tennessee or schools that don't make any sense, then you can start to scratch your head. Um, and each one is different. The Mike Brown one is interesting in part because he made $550,000 at Wisconsin. And when he went to Notre Dame, and Notre Dame doesn't provide, because it's a private school, uh, salary information, but it's believed that he that $550,000 was at least $200,000 more than Notre Dame's last receivers coach, Chancey Stuckey. So I'm guessing Brown or Notre Dame raised its uh, wide receiver salary, but that one came down to him wanting to work with Marcus Freeman. And all three coaches that have left have connections with staffers at the universities they're now at. So I think that plays a part in it too. I don't think there's a chance in hell that he dropped, he left $200,000 on the table no. just to go coach for Marcus Freeman. Oh, you know I, I mean? don't think so either, but I'd be very curious to know what he was offered because, I mean, he he had a good role at Wisconsin. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to go to Notre Dame, Alabama, Michigan at this point, it says that Luke Fickle is hiring really quality coaches. I think you'd probably rather have coaches that were in demand than coaches yes. that nobody wanted. Right. Um, and I also look at this from the perspective, well, who's he hiring to replace these guys and the guys that he's hired so far. And we had an opportunity to talk to them a couple of weeks ago have been very impressive, have impressive resumes have been impressive in the conversations that we had uh, a chance to have with them. The biggest issue is the lack of continuity, what it means for the players having to learn something new every single year and what it means in recruiting, because you cannot overstate the impact that that has as much as this cliche, it's not a cliche, but you say pick, pick a school or pick a program for the school and not the coaches. But who are you talking to all the time? You're talking to the coaches and you think you're going somewhere to play for that coach. And as we see every year, this is a business and chances are you're not going to end up playing for that position coach when it's all said and done by the end of your career. There's a reason why the transfer portal opens up for 30 days after a coach leaves. Um, that a lot of these guys did go to play for those coaches. And if they're not going to be there, they don't want to, they don't want to be there either. So um, that's not always the case. Certainly, that's not always the case, but you're right. In, in terms of build, building relationships with guys, I think it matters, especially in the state. It's like we saw last year, Colin Hitcher go and do what he did in, in Pennsylvania, right? And 
that that is uh, that was obviously very impressive. Uh, but when it comes to the state of Wisconsin, building relationships to keep guys home, I think is is vital. And right now, especially some of the bigger guys in the state, they don't have that. They don't they, they don't have the uh, extended relationships like that Joe Rudolph had with a guy like Owen Strebing, who knew him from the first time that he stepped into Catholic Memorial as a freshman. So we'll again we'll see how everything comes together and what they do at this position. Do you think it's a Wisconsin guy that gets the defensive line position or is it somebody, is it somebody outside? My initial thought is it probably ends up being somebody outside. Luke has been around the game a long time, has a lot of connections. Um, I was can a try line to, coach. I can try to predict and project, but then I'd start thinking, well, what were the options be of Wisconsin guys? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just realistically asking. look at. Um, so no, I, I, I don't necessarily see that now I'm sure whoever it is will be good, but it's just tough. It's gotta be tough for the players, man. Cause you're looking at your third position coach in as many seasons at wide receiver at on the defensive line with the safeties and the offensive linemen now have their fourth position coach in as many seasons. And I think that's notable, at least in part going back to what AJ Blazek said, the new old line coach from Vanderbilt, when he was asked what he felt like some of the issues were when he watched the film from Wisconsin last season, even though he wasn't here, he, he, his thought process, at least in part was that these guys are being asked to do something a little bit different every year. I think it takes some time to adjust to that. So I'm interested to see how that manifests itself throughout spring ball and into next season. They want, the reason I asked about the Badger potentially being a guy from Wisconsin to fill that defense line spot is because you wrote about a, True, true Wisconsin guy this week in Casey Robach, a guy who grew up in the state, played at Wisconsin, went to the NFL, has now come back to Wisconsin and is a huge part of their recruiting department. He is the lone bat, I mean, the lone former player on the staff, I believe, unless they've they've added anybody like as a GA or something like that that we have that we're not yet aware of. He is the only badger on the staff. And you had a chance to to write about him and what he what he means to the department, but also what the department means to him. Yeah. I mean Alec James is oh yeah, yeah. part Excuse of the program. Me. But yeah. in terms of in terms of assistant coaches or recruiting department staffers, yeah, there yeah. Are, there's not very many. And Casey is the lone guy there. But um it's interesting because even talking to him it's clear the passion that he has for this place. I mean, he, he developed as a player and a person here and he wants to give back to the university. He doesn't have to be here. doesn't have to do this job. Um, it's a good job, but he's given up time with his family to do this because he's got a wife and, and three kids and, and two of his kids are, are still back home in door County. And they, they moved into a house back in 2012 in egg Harbor and he says he's in Madison 90% of the time. They bought an apartment um, on Monroe Street right by the, the football stadium. And his oldest daughter is a freshman at UW-Madison, so they do get to spend time together. But it just speaks to how much he values Wisconsin to want this program to have success. And you don't need everybody to have that kind of uh, experience at Wisconsin. But I sure think it helps to have somebody like a Casey Robach who can answer questions of people who are not familiar with this program, but who can also talk to recruits about what it means to be a part of a program like this because he has lived it. And he's really had a tremendous impact on this recruiting department. We've talked a lot about, and rightfully so, Pat Lambert and Max Steinecker. Pat's the director of player personnel. Max is, um, or excuse me, Max is the director of player personnel and Pat's the director of recruiting. But those are the two guys that Fickle brought with him from Cincinnati. But Casey Robach is 
is ha having just as big of a role as kind of the the third guy there that is helping to build this um this, this recruiting class what does it mean uh, outside of just being able to answer questions for for guys what does it mean to have someone like him there obviously the experience he has in understanding offensive line play is massive and luke fickle talked about that before an alumni event in milwaukee a couple of weeks ago um but I also think it's interesting the responsibilities that he's tasked with. So all three of those guys, Lambert, Steineker, and Rabak, are um, responsible for evaluating and recruiting specific positions, which makes sense. But Casey's in charge of offensive line, defensive line, and quarterback, which you wouldn't yeah. necessarily think, um, and certainly has conversations with Phil Longo about that. But so I, I think that's really interesting, the things that he's looking for and maybe the things he's looking for now that are a little bit different from what he was looking at uh, more than a year ago. And, and for people who don't know, I should mention, Casey was actually initially hired by Paul Christ when Paul remade the recruiting staff at the start of 2022. Um, and this is in the story that I wrote, but like he ended up being one class short of of graduation and Chris McIntosh, and they were obviously former teammates at Wisconsin. He reached out to him and asked him why he hadn't finished his degree. And so he ended up coming to Madison to take that last class because he couldn't take it online and ended up talking to Joe Rudolph, who at the time was the O-line coach here, said, I'm going to be here Tuesdays and Thursdays. Can I help in any way? And Rudy was like, yes, absolutely come over here. And so he spent that semester and into the next year helping out behind the scenes in evaluating offensive line play, self-scouting, a lot of different things. And that ultimately ended up with him getting a full-time job under, under Paul Christ. Um, but so that's how he's ended up here. Um, but yes, I mean, he evaluates those positions. He goes through the recruiting services and the databases to find players. He's also in charge of leading a group of student interns, which I think is really interesting. They've got a big group of, of people who are students here that, maybe want to be involved in player personnel in the future. And he's helping them figure out what parameters they're looking for when they watch film or when they look at stats so that they can bring those players to Casey and the staff. So he does a lot of different things. He's got a lot, where's a lot of different hats, right? Very much. Where, so. Where's, where's a lot of different hats. Um, you had a, you wrote about him obviously, but you also wrote about some of the players that perhaps, he has been keeping an eye on too in recent uh, in recent weeks, and I wanted to kind of ask you about some of those guys because um, you you had a chance to to talk to at least a couple of them, including an interesting one, at least in my mind, and that is uh, Torn Petaway from Middleton, mm -hmm. who is a guy that uh, well I went to Middleton, so I'm more interested, perhaps maybe even more so than normal uh, when it comes to him kind of came out of nowhere i mean he didn't play football for until the like the last year and now all of a sudden these division one offers are, are popping up all over the place yeah so i wrote a story earlier in the week about uh, talking to some of the top targets that wisconsin is looking at in 2025 guys who came for a junior day visit and part of that story before i get to pet away is about what their approach to junior day is which i think yeah. is pretty interesting because they've had three junior days so far. They had one um, last month, January 13th. It was supposed to include 10 recruits, but it only ended up being four because there was a snowstorm. But their goal, and Luke talked about this recently, is basically less is more. They don't want to have 30 or 40 dudes 
coming to campus where they can't really get to know the coaches. So the plan, and this makes a lot of sense, is bring 10 to 15 recruits to campus. You get a lot of one-on-one time with the coaches. You have a better understanding of the school. Um, and so they had the one in January, and then they ended up with back-to-back junior days, February 3rd and 4th, in part because some of those guys couldn't come the previous month, where they had about 10 guys come each day. And Petaway was one of those guys. And he's got, to me, one of the most interesting recruiting stories among the guys that are high on Wisconsin's board for the reason you laid out, Zach. He didn't play football for the first time until this past fall when he was a junior and had a really good season. And he's 6'5 and 265 pounds. He told me he always thought he'd end up maybe playing at the Cole Center for basketball because that was his his real passion. But he realized that he had a, a future in football. And we talk about all these in-state guys, you know, James Flanagan and Owen Strebig, who have uh, committed to Notre Dame, Cooper Catalano, Michael Reske. There's a lot of in-state guys. But Petaway, really, in the last, what, month, has exploded onto the recruiting scene, gotten yeah. his offers from Minnesota, USC, um, Nebraska, and then Wisconsin came in with an offer. And it really sounds like Wisconsin was in a good position. But a big reason he uh, felt that way was because of Greg Scruggs at the time. Because Scruggs, and this is how they connected, at least in part, talked about how he didn't play football until his senior year of high school, very similar to Petaway. So I don't necessarily think a new position coach is going to change how Petaway feels about Wisconsin. It's right in his backyard. It's a great opportunity for him. But one of those late recruiting finds that has a tremendously high ceiling. He does. And again, a local kid. And they've had... Middleton has sent some guys to Division One, but not to not to Wisconsin necessarily. At least uh, the last couple of years, obviously, a couple of guys ending up at, at Rutgers for various reasons, and we'll leave it at, at that. At that, but yes, he's he's. A, I think he's a very intriguing uh, guy. He wasn't the only one that uh, you had a chance to talk to. Jane Woods, um, uh, an outside linebacker, was another guy that that stood out, a four star guy in the twenty four seven composite. Yep, he's a kid from Kansas, and Wisconsin is in a good enough just position a kid, that just a kid from Kansas, just like you, just Kansas, a, just a kid from Kansas. <laughs> yep, um, but Wisconsin's in a good enough position, at least at this point, that he's already decided he's going to use one of his official visits on Wisconsin, and the other school that he knows he's going to take an official to is Purdue. Um, and I, I mean, you're not going to get every kid like this, but the more higher end four star guys you can get, especially at a position like outside linebacker, obviously I think that the better you are in the long run, he's got 30 plus scholarship offers, but really likes Wisconsin, what it stands for, what it can do with this linebackers. He's familiar with Nick Herbig and what he did at Wisconsin, the fact he's in the NFL now. So, I mean, Wisconsin likes him and and the way they've talked to him, they described it as that Jack, linebacker position which is the boundary side of the field so he can kind of rush the passer but drop into coverage it's kind of a hybrid type of player um and i mean i don't know if they're going to end up getting him but i do think like those are the kinds of guys if you want to elevate this defense you've got to be able to to give yourself a chance for and another one in a similar vein as an outside linebacker austin alexander out of kentucky yep another four-star uh, player listed as a defensive lineman, but Wisconsin's recruiting him as an outside linebacker. Very powerful player. Uh, put up some insane numbers at his high school in Kentucky. He had 81 tackles and 19 sacks, but he also was a receiver and caught 67 passes for 1,138 yards and 19 touchdowns. So I don't know if Wisconsin's going to end up with him. You can kind of tell when you talk to these guys. And he said that 
I mean, Wisconsin is in his top 10, so that's a start. But uh, his uh, his uncle is Sean Alexander, who was a great running back at Alabama and then played nine seasons in the NFL. And um, I think he's leaned on him for advice, too. But another one of those four star guys that Wisconsin's getting a lot of those kinds of players on campus. I, I think that's worth noting. I mean, you can debate the merits of the star rating system, but they're they're getting the guys here. And I think they did a good job in 2024 of, of end up ending up, you know, signing a lot of them. What do they have? 10 or 11 four-star prospects in the 24 seven sports composite once the cycle completed. And I, I think that's what you got to do to try and elevate yourself. So some, so those guys are obviously on defense and I'm sure Wisconsin is recruiting some offensive guys, but I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Phil Galongo in year two, as we get closer to spring ball coming up next month, this was a question that was posed to me um, on air when I was doing the the Zone Morning Show earlier this week, and I wanted to I asked you about it on air, but I want to talk all, about it a little bit more. And that is Phil Longo and year two of the offense under him, and whether this is a make or break year. The first year one did not go the way they wanted to. No, year one didn't go the way anybody wanted it to. Right? You averaged twenty six points a game in twenty twenty two. You bring in an air raid offense that still wants to run the ball, but is going to be explosive. And we were talking about last season be, uh, before last season about them scoring 30 something points a game. Mm -hmm. And instead they scored three points less <laughs> than they did the prior year. They were 23 and a half points per game. It's not what we expected. It's not what anybody was hoping for. We saw signs of life in the bowl game. I thought with Tanner Mordecai dropping some dimes and the ball being thrown all over the place, still lost, but they at least, you know, showed some signs of life in the, in the passing game. And my, so my question though is is this is this uh, make or break for him? Like he does he get another opportunity if it does not improve? And I'm not talking about 36, 37 points a game, but making a, a significant jump from where it was last year. And if not, does Luke Fickle cut bait and maybe turn to perhaps a different style after this year? That's a very big question with very big implications, but I think this has to be considered a, a make or break type year for the way things transpired in year one at Wisconsin. And you can make excuses if you want. It was a new system. You had a lot of new personnel. You had injuries that certainly didn't help. You lost your starting quarterback for a month and were left with a quarterback who had not played at all because uh, he was a redshirt freshman and ended up completing 50% of his passes. But at the same time, what did we hear throughout the offseason? It was about the success that Phil had had at a lot of these stops right away. And Wisconsin ended up averaging 23 and a half points per game had a very good offensive showing in the bowl game against LSU. And I think at least in part, that's got to give fans some optimism. On the other hand, the guy who was leading the charge Tanner Mordecai isn't here anymore. But I think if you have another year like that, where you're averaging 24 points a game, 25 points a game, that's not why they, brought him here and then that's not why they installed this offense and so if it does come to that then I think you really have to have some hard evaluations and I, I mean we haven't had a chance to talk to Phil very often but the last time we did talk to him was right before the bowl game down in Tampa after a practice and I ended up writing about this trying to figure out why will year two be different or what is your thought process to that and and I'm quoting him here. He said that he was excited about knowing what the advantages are in the second year. One of the things he talked about is just the, the knowledge that the players have once spring ball starts, because you're bringing so many guys back. 
he compared it to having 35 coaches that Wisconsin didn't have last year. And the other thing that he talked about is just to him, there is a process of playing much more instinctively. And that's, I think, a fair point, especially in this offense. We've talked a lot about how the wide receivers have this level of freedom and how they run their routes. And you have to learn that over the course of the season. He feels like going into year two that they're going to be much better positioned for success because he's got a little bit of a head start and he has had success at other schools. I also think those act and we can talk as much as we want. We did a lot of talking last offseason about <laughs> what what was possible. You're going to have to go do it on the field. And that's where I'm at. I know we've I've said this basically since the end of the regular season or, or the end of the bowl game. You're going to have to show me before I make any bold proclamations about what this offense is going to be. But absolutely, they have to make progress and meaningful progress this season to show this is a system that is working and can work for the future at Wisconsin. I feel like we could throw a bunch of excuses out there, right? Why it didn't work last sure. year, right? Like first year, such a huge, significant change from the year before. You lose, as you mentioned, the starting quarterback for a month. You don't have your most explosive player in the backfield after the first month of the season in Ches Malusi, Braylon Allen's dinged up. So you don't really, and you don't really have anybody behind them running back wise that you can count on. You have wide receivers that maybe don't necessarily fit exactly what you're trying to do. And they're trying to learn how to play a little bit freer because that's what this offense is. It's kind of not, not necessarily freelance, but it kind of is for a wide receiver. And that takes some time to, to feel and to learn and to understand. And then you have like the quarterback and wide receiver trying to be on the same page that it, it, that's tough to build. So we could throw a lot of excuses out there, but those excuses don't matter for this year. Those are excuses for last year. And you don't get an opportunity to get those same excuses this fall. Like if they were, if they lose Tyler Van Dyke, they lose Tyler Van Dyke. If they don't have Ches Malusi in the backfield, well, guess what? There's, there's other guys are going to have to step up. Those excuses, I think, are fine for year one. Year two, I don't think they, they work. Um, you have to, you have to show improvement. You have to show um, a, a significant jump from what you were last year uh, to be able to continue on in the vein of the type of offense that you want to run. Uh, in this this type of offense, because it was such a significant change, people wanted to see how much different it was going to be and how much improvement it was going to show. And we didn't see that last year. And I think while people may have been, maybe not everybody, but there's a lot of patience for, from some people in the first year, that patience is going to disappear if things struggle in year two again. And look, this is what happens when you bring in a different quarterback every single year. That that needs to they need to pick up much quicker than they did last year when it was Tanner Mordecai and some of these other guys. Tyler Van Dyke needs to hit the ground running much quicker if they're going to have a chance to show this this type of improvement. We can't can't wait until January first to start throwing the ball, chucking around, and seeming like you're on the same page, which is kind of what it took until um, it looked like the offense that we thought it was going to. Here's another thing that was discussed quite frequently last season, in part by the coaches as well. This idea of trying to figure out how do you tailor the system to fit the skill set of the players. I mean, the whole plan, and Phil talked about this a lot, is that you move the system toward the skill set of the players. And it was a challenging year one, in part because while they overhauled the roster to some degree through the transfer portal, you had a lot of guys who were recruited for a different system and they were trying to find roles for them. I think about the tight end group that they ended up with as an yeah. example, obviously the offensive line, a lot of the guys who were playing had been a part of other, the other system. 
you can't, uh, to me, you can't say that in year two. You just can't. Okay, some of these guys were recruited by a previous staff. It's fewer and fewer now because of the transfer portal and the, the recruits that you've brought in. But it's your responsibility and your job as a coach who gets paid a lot of money to figure out how do you make it work. And I just don't know that you can say those same types of things in year two. And I understood it in year one. If you wanted to talk about excuses and um, it's in part an excuse, but it was also the reality. Um, this year, that's just not going to fly. <laughs> You've had an entire <laughs> offseason. And I think that's in part what Phil was talking about, too, of, OK, we've got 35 extra coaches this year. They know what my expectations are. Well, now you got to go show it on the field. Yes, it as you said, benefit of the doubt, right? Like you, now it's show me. You, you exactly. benefit benefit of the doubt year one. Now it's show me, and I, I it's hard to disagree with that. It is hard to disagree with that. Now we're saying all these things. What has to happen? Do you think it happens? Like where is your where is your feeling? And I know you said I want to see it. I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm going to ask you to talk about it anyways. Do you think <laughs> do, do you think it does happen? Do you think that there is? a change and an improvement and a jump significant enough to say, all right, we're on the right track. I'm going to say yes, but the challenge here is I think Wisconsin will be a better team in year two of all of this. And at the same time, I'm not sure that the record is going to reflect that because of how challenging the schedule is. I mean, Last year, maybe it was a pie in the sky vision. We were talking about a 10 and two season uh, felt like a realistic possibility, not necessarily taking into account how difficult it would truly be to implement this with the players that you had and, and make it work right away. And in year two, they've got some really tough opponents. So and I think that in part clearly is going to affect whatever the statistical output is. But I do expect improvement and um it's just hard to know what does that look like, Zach? I mean, I'm never, I'm not going to sit here anymore and say, well, this team's going to average 30 plus points a game, or I think they're going to average 35 points and be like the third highest scoring offense Wisconsin's ever had behind the 2010 and 2011 teams. So I'm not expecting a jump like that, but you better show some type of improvement to, to demonstrate why this is the system moving forward in the right path. So no predictions this year of Tyler Van Dyke breaking Russell Wilson's passing records uh, that we that that we did last that we did last fall. No, uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, I do think it's reasonable to wonder whether you can play uh, the way that he did in 2021 when he was ACC Rookie of the Year. Uh, but like, if he comes out and throws 25 touchdowns and six interceptions, that's one of the greatest seasons of Wisconsin's quarterback has has ever had outside of Russell Wilson's season. So. Yeah, everything about what happened year one has, has tempered my expectations. I imagine tempered the fans' expectations, but that's not to say that they can't make significant progress in year two, and I do expect them to. I do as well. It's just how much of it, uh, how much of it is. I will also say that I continued, and I don't, I don't think you're on the same page with me on this one, but I continue to say that schedule that we were talking about a couple of months ago looks a lot different than it does now. Because um, Nick Saban's the, not at Alabama. Nick Saban's not at Alabama. USC certainly is not necessarily the the same USC team that uh, a lot of people thought they were going to be. Um, I believe they won maybe the same amount of games that Wisconsin did last year. Um, certainly, you know, you get Penn State at home, which is it's going to be difficult. There's no doubt about that. And and you get Oregon at home. Those are uh, I'm not going to say less easy games, but they're at least they're at home. And then. 
or at, at less hard games than they were a couple of months ago. But they they are at least they're at home and they're late. Bringing Oregon to to Madison in November, you never know. I think the two games that I look at and say could determine whether they have more wins this year than they did last year is is at Iowa and at Nebraska. Those two, yep. t- those those are two like to me that could go either way in, in terms of um, how good this season could be. It's, those are not the marquee games on the schedule, but they are two I think that could decide one way or the other if Wisconsin does have a better record than they did last year. Uh, we were kind of joking about it last night and how how good or how bad they've been these these last two years. And, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, the last time they actually had all these Wisconsin guys, because we're talking about having got Wisconsin guys on, on the coaching staff, they won nine games throwing away the 2022 season. And I was like, when's the next time they're going to win nine games? Hmm. I don't know. It's I, I guess I would not, I'm not going to pick this year. Yeah, I, I won't pick this year initially either. Uh, I've been wrong many times before. I'm very wrong this season, but uh, I mean, it's just, it's harder than ever. And I don't want to keep beating a dead horse or harping on the same talking point, but you just have to acknowledge what the, the new landscape is and um, how drastically that impacts Wisconsin. You're going to have to play at a pretty darn high level to win nine games moving forward where you know you could avoid an ohio state or a michigan in a, in a year where you had the big east or big 10 east and, and big 10 west divisions and now uh, it, just because you avoid them you've got two or three teams that are playing at a level that are are quite similar to that for me if alabama's not on the schedule it's it's very much similar to what they have been playing um except with one added marquee game and now with alabama's schedule you get two marquee games right yeah. like in, instead of having michigan or penn state or, or ohio state like obviously last year they, they missed michigan and penn state but um you're essentially adding one marquee opponent more than than normal and that marquee opponent this year obviously is um i would say oregon right because you then you have penn state and usc you usually have two marquee opponents you get one more this year but you throw alabama in there and the non-conference schedule it becomes um more daunting, obviously, and it's gonna be in the twenty-five schedule. Doesn't make it much easier either. So no. this, this <laughs> is uh, I don't we don't need to talk about twenty twenty-five at this point, but because <laughs> twenty twenty-four is enough. But it's not like it's going to get any easier. And um, again, we're not talking negative. We're not going to talk negative about it. Uh, one more thing before we go, we kind of talked about this last night, Temple and Heilprin, but EA College Football twenty-five going to be coming out um, this summer, and uh, friend of the program, John McNamara asked which, which Wisconsin player that the last like decade or ever should be on the, on the, um, on the cover. But I, I'm thinking about this. When was the last time or who had been the highest ranked player since, since the game did not start coming out 2014 to 2023, who's the highest rated player that we didn't actually get to play with. Uh, as that played for Wisconsin. Yes. Is it Melvin? Yes. (laughs) Or Jonathan Taylor jr. Year. Um, because yeah, by JT, then he'd had, yeah. yeah, by then he'd had basically averaging two thousand yards each season. It's got to be those guys, and yeah. uh, very much looking forward to that game. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun to see, and I bet the players will love it. It's weird because the guys who will be in it were seven years old <laughs> the last <laughs> time it came out, so maybe they don't understand or appreciate the history and the meaning behind it. I always loved the college game way more than Madden. That might be oh, blasphemous yeah. to some, no, but like no. every environment was different. You had the bands playing, you could run the option. You could 
recruit. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a joy. It's going to be electric and I can't wait for it either. Jonathan Taylor is a good pick. Certainly. I wonder if some of the defenders, maybe a, a TJ Watt, but the thing is he wasn't like pri- prior to the season. He yep. wasn't thought to be like an all American. He just turned out to be an all American. They had, you know, they've had some other guys that have been obviously truly, really, really good players leading into a season like that offensive line in 2018 probably had like four four guys that would have been high 80s or low 90s um yeah and it proved not to be the case of course uh in real football but you know what we could do here is uh i have to imagine there's a big crossover with our listeners who are of a certain age that actually grew up <laughs> playing this game like what are your best stories from playing at the ncaa <laughs> football series just tweet them at zach yeah, he wants oh, it to fill oh. up his timeline <laughs> I, I think mine would be uh because if i'm not mistaken you could create your own school and then you would just play at a stadium that already existed. I would, I would create uh, the school that I went to a division three school that would lose to every team in the FBS <laughs> by at least 70 points and then at build least. a team from that. Yeah, probably. Uh, so I'm sure there's probably listeners out there who have some pretty good stories about building a dynasty and then bolting for a new school or something like that. I think I think this could be just amazing if like you had like a, a group of like 10 or 15 friends that all wanted to get into a league together and play it online. I know that people do that in Madden and um, it would be that'd be crazy. Um, I, this again, college football is the best, like the, the game college football. And I know Madden Madden has has kind of I felt like kind of fallen off a bit of a cliff uh, just in terms of the gameplay because there's no competition whatsoever uh, to, to push them. But. This is people are going to be I, I'm sure there will be some people that are disappointed. I don't care. I can't wait for it. I, I'm I'll be there. I'm again, it's going to be I don't really have to be in line to get it. But if there was a line to get it, I would get it. I'd be in that line. And <laughs> and because, and, uh, you know, you can obviously just download it uh, digitally, but I would be in that line if I needed to be. Um, yeah. I, I, go ahead. Well, I'm one of those nerds who in eighth grade, we had a tournament for Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball on like Super Nintendo or whatever it was. And uh I'm happy to say that I won. I probably put that on my resume for a job, but uh, so I'm one of those people who'd be down for the 16 uh, team tournament with your friends. Hell yeah. All right. We'll talk next week, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right. There he is Jesse Temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the camp.